passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Welcome, everybody. There we go. We are live. Still working things out, but yes, we are very much live, John. Hello. Hello. I'm, I was thrown off. How are you? Doing very well. Welcome, everybody, to this week's Cafe Hangout. We are here live from the post office. We are going to be taking your phone calls. We're going to have a number of guests on, and we are going to be discussing all the latest news, which... There's no shortage of today. One really big story that we will be breaking down and discussing and hopefully hearing from you. Yeah. On the show today, we're going to be joined, as always, by Damien Abraham, the host of The Wrestlers on Viceland, to chat about the episodes that aired on Wednesday night, the penultimate week of the series, which will wrap up next week. And also joining us, a former WWE writer and also someone that is no stranger to the post office, Brian Mann will be on as we are going to be discussing... This big announcement from WWE about the new executive directors for Raw and SmackDown. This news came out on Thursday morning, first reported by SI.com. The WWE has since uh, issued their own press release naming Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff as the new executive directors. Uh, I'm just going to read it here from their own release. WWE is named Paul Heyman as executive director of Monday Night Raw and Eric Bischoff as executive director of SmackDown Live, newly created positions reporting directly to WWE chairman and CEO Vince McMahon. In their executive roles, Heyman and Bischoff will oversee the creative development of WWE's flagship programming and ensure integration across all platforms and lines of business. The creation of these roles further establishes WWE's ability to continuously reinvent its global brand while providing two distinct creative processes for its flagship shows. And they go on to run through the resumes of Heyman and Bischoff. Uh, this is not a storyline. These are positions that as it says in the release, are being created. It is certainly uh, comes across as a a big reaction to where things are right now. The perception that is there among viewers of Raw and SmackDown that something was necessary. And I think the biggest question way, and it, this is going to bear itself out over the next number of weeks, is how much autonomy these two truly have. Or are these simply going to be writers that are put uh, relatively high on the food chain, that ultimately this is still 
a Vince McMahon run show, which mm-hmm. from all intents and purposes, that is still the case, that he is still the final editor and the final line of defense when it comes to what is getting onto television. Not for a second do I think, you know, with this news comes, you know, Vince McMahon completely handing the reins over to either Paul Heyman or Eric Bischoff. I think what we are going to get is, you know, maybe uh, slightly different uh, changes to, to the to the format, but I'm not expecting that much of a change. I can't expect that much. I mean, of a week change. one, you have to do certain things that I, I think this absolutely in the short term helps next week's viewership. I think there's it's going a to be a great deal of buzz, tons of buzz it. and curiosity, yeah. but I mean, the last time I had it explained to me how the the writing structure looks like, try and picture this. I think I've gone over this before. Was at the top, like in those production meetings, it was like Vince, mm-hmm. Paul Levesque, and Kevin Dunn. That was kind of your, your top level. And obviously, Vince is the one that's pretty much calling the shots at the end. Beneath him was Dave Kapoor, who was the senior vice president of creative. Now, below that, you had the head writers of each brand, lead writers below that, then your regular writing staff and the writer's assistants. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of your pyramid that you can sketch out in your head. So where are Heyman and Bischoff going to be? Well, that's, that's an interesting question. In the outline, it says they will report directly to Vince McMahon. In theory, that would put them second in line, mm-hmm. right behind that, that top tier and how that affects other people's roles, like a Dave Kapoor. I'd be curious how that affects his work dynamic, how he is working with these two and Many questions. I think it's only once we see this executed uh, of how this is going to happen. And you have two distinct personalities here that are being put in, one of which is Paul Heyman that is there every week. He has been heavily involved with WWE creative for a while. Mm -hmm. And then on the the polar opposite is Eric Bischoff, who is – we're going to see how much has this guy been following the product. Like he's coming into this cold does not surprise me at all that they would consider Paul Heyman, you know, considering that he was he's already, you know, pretty much plays a very active role within the company already. Eric Bischoff is is a name that's really come completely out of left field. And I'm trying to think, you know, why of all people that are within their system? Why? Why not Triple H? Why not? You know, so and so. Why not uh, Bruce Pritchard? But Eric Bischoff, the selection of of him as in, in this position is really curious, and I can only imagine that maybe they wanted to play up some sort of Monday Night or like Attitude Era dynamic by having the the ECW figurehead with the WCW figurehead in charge. I have to imagine some some of that might play into what we're going to get on air. Well, also like this is also not some um, some change in power that w- w- just slipped out. They made this a very public announcement yes. today, and I think wanted names that are going to get the most attention from mm-hmm. lapsed fans, and I think that's where Bischoff finds himself here. I mean, if you, the last time we got to see this guy who had, you know, he pretty much had the reins of creative in TNA for a period of time, and and we saw what the end result was. Yeah. I mean, and that's, he's largely been away from any kind of day-to-day wrestling job since he left Impact. That's out of a podcast. Outside of his podcast, which uh, we are told will continue. So much like Bruce Pritchard uh, will continue. But I think that this is... Those podcasts will be really interesting, I guess, right now. Yeah, I mean... I mean, depending on how much they're able to talk about. I don't think you're going to hear much about present day things. I mean, these are are nostalgia podcasts that I think that's, that's why they are continuing to do them. It's not going to... It would be much different if Eric Bischoff was doing a day after SmackDown podcast. You know what I mean? Um, So I think that these were done... Certainly names that I think ultimately were names that Vince McMahon feels comfortable with giving this power to. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, with it comes the criticism that where are 
where is the WWE's next generation of creative minds? Mm -hmm. Like you have people on the writing staff that are, are youthful, but not for a position like this. And they're like, if you want to make radical changes, is, is this going to bring about it? I think that you're going to get um, optimism regarding Heyman. And I think a lot of skepticism regarding Bischoff mm -hmm. and six weeks from now, we may be right back and realize that these were largely what was this a cosmetic change or are these roles that really have teeth attached to them? The fact that we're, this news it, it comes so publicly through you know a Sports Illustrated article, um, which I'm and sure and the company itself, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Like they um, were doing this as uh, something to point release, to. Basically, they wanted attention for this. We are we are actively making changes. Suggest to me that I'm. My my cynicism tells me this is more of just a, a cosmetic change, you know, much like the the wild card rule, much like you know whatever twenty four seven title. To me, this is just kind of next in line in in that type of you know how can it's we, the latest reset, and we're we going to find out if it's an effective one. But mm -hmm. this is you can't do another brand split because you've basically done one. This is as close as we get to almost doing another reset, and I mean, whether this means kind of. What's going to happen with these commercial breaks? Is that going to continue throughout both? Are you really going to see differences between the shows? Are we going to see distinct rosters now? And most important to me is the fact that they're positioning Eric Bischoff, in theory, in a position of power going into Fox. Yeah. How, you know, I'm, I'm very curious to know perhaps internally how people feel about something like that. No doubt somebody like Paul Heyman commands a great deal of respect. Is that same level of reverence given to somebody like Eric Bischoff, who's just stepping in into the company after a long time? My other question is, you know, where's Paul Levesque in all this? Of, of anybody back there who might be able to, you know, helm a, a company, you figure Triple H would kind of be that person next in line. Well, I mean, Paul Levesque is still very much Vince's, like, lieutenant. Like, mm -hmm. he is there at all these TVs unless, you know, scheduling prevents it. So it's not right. like he is non-existent here in this whole structure. I mean, he, him, Vince, and Kevin Dunn, like, lead these production meetings. So, right. I mean, he's there. He's in the center of it. And in some ways is not necessarily being exposed, maybe, in the, in the sense in terms of uh, someone that is being linked to. I, I think it might be a very smart political move that he is not in one of these featured roles. Yeah. Heyman, I find it interesting as well, because this is a guy that has been very careful about decisions he's made to insulate himself from any potential failures. Mm -hmm. And this is one where, you know, there he is putting himself in the, in the public position that this is now Heyman's vision, not all that different from when ECW relaunched, that he was the public face of a brand that he was realizing he did not have autonomy over. And it yeah. became the WWE and Vince McMahon's vision of ECW. And he was the poster child for it. Uh, that was the public face of it. And that's kind of what they're spinning here is that this is Heyman's show. Mm -hmm. And with it comes the positive and the negative that it's all going to be on his shoulders. Also curious is that uh, the, the article specifically mentions that Bischoff will be involved with Fox in dealing with the transition to SmackDown. Uh, what do you make of that? And the fact that it's Paul, uh, Eric Bischoff instead of Paul Heyman being put in that role. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of hard because what does that entail? Mm -hmm. um, ultimately, do I feel that Eric Bischoff will be tasked with making unilateral decisions on behalf of the company? I don't. Mm -hmm. um, no way. I, I think that that's... I, th I think ultimately, like, this is... I don't view this as Vince McMahon handing over the reins. Yeah, I think ultimately uh, they, they would they would made they would have made that very clear. Uh, if we have a phone call, let's uh, let's start let's off. Let's go to our first phone call. By the way, phone lines are open, everybody. We are going to be taking them for the next few minutes. One seven three two eight hundred forty four twenty three, or search us on Skype. Post wrestling, we want to hear from you. Uh, our first caller, Jake. What's up? 
Hello, Jake. Can hey, you hear us? Good to talk to you again. How are you doing? Hey, very well. What do you think of this news? Man, um, I, I was very uh, when I when I woke up this morning and heard about this uh, the news. Uh, I was genuinely surprised, uh, knowing that you know how much you know Paul Ham. Like, considering how uh, Paul uh, Paul Heyman and his past issues with with creative uh, back then, and starting just lashed out, but uh, and he lashed out on the plane ride. Uh, with Vince, this, but, uh, this, uh, let, yeah, let's be clear though. This is not Paul Heyman coming out of nowhere. Like he's been in, he's been at these TVs. He has a role in creative and producing. Like this is not Paul Heyman. Just he has not been strictly yeah. a performer for a, for a while. Okay, uh, just wondering about that. But uh, just curious about this um, regarding uh, regarding this. Uh, I, I, you know, Paul Paul Heyman is a competitive guy. Uh, Eric Bischoff is a really competitive guy. And obviously, um, how much how much do you think uh, Vince is going to give uh, Vince is going to give uh, both of these guys the amount of liberties uh, that he's going to allow allow them to, to have? Uh, would you say? Um, Thanks for the call, Jake. We're, we we got a few of them, so we're gonna uh, hang up and answer your question. Yeah, I, I think that that's that's the million dollar question that everyone is going to be asking, and it would not surprise me if even those involved are wondering like what it's it's ultimately going to be once they're in the middle in the midst of all this and seeing when there's when there's a big battle over something who ultimately wins out yeah our next caller what's up you're on the line hey this is uh jay from colorado hey jay um hey i gotta say you know i haven't really been watching the main roster product a lot over the last month um been catching highlights and reviews to you guys, but I'm fairly excited about the news this morning, and even more so, this seems like the exciting conclusion of the invasion angle from the seven, from the 2000s. You know, yes, after 20 finally years. Heyman and uh, and uh, Bischoff and the Alliance are now controlling things. Well, it's I mean that is kind of the underlying oh, theme theme to this, uh, Jay. Oh but... no, did I lose you guys? Hello? No. Oh. No, we're we're here. We can hear you. Uh, but thank you for the yeah, call. We'll uh, we'll try and reconnect. Yeah. But, um, no, it's you know it, it's going back to an era that I think a lot of fans want to see kind of progress past, and and what and ultimately it's going to come down to new ideas. And again, I'm going to keep going back to it the the autonomy factor that I think anyone would be skeptical that there's going to be uh, plenty of, and maybe we'll be surprised. It's it's to me just um it's it's part nostalgia and I think you know delivering the type of reaction that you know Jay uh c- conveyed here from Laps fans who perhaps really enjoyed that period and it, want to see things shaken up. It's again. big with callers. Huge with callers. We're getting a ton of response. Uh caller, you're on the line. You're on the post wrestling cafe. Yeah. What's up? Yo, what's going on? It's Hansy. Of course it is. Hansy, how are you? I'm good. I'll, I'll be quick. I know you guys are are are, are strapped for time, so I'll, I'll be quick. I just want to say that you know, uh, it it's it's coming across like to me at least that you know how the comparisons to WCW have been like you know um, put out there more. It feels like at least in the real life situation that this is like when Vince Russo and Bischoff came on television. Like, like do you think it'll actually do anything, or do you guys actually think this is just like another band aid? Like, I, I, listen, I'm intrigued. By um by Bischoff coming back and all that, it it kind of puts my theory to you know a test that maybe there will be a TNA invasion. But do you guys think this long term will actually work out, or do you guys think that 
this is going to be like another uh, another thing that McMahon micromanages. And I'll leave you with that. Take it easy, guys. Thank you, Hanzi. I, I think it's I think the real test is going to be you know if these guys stay in these positions. Um, everyone believes Vince McMahon is is not taking his his eye off the ball or his hands off the product this year. Now next year when the XFL launches, that's an interesting test. Mm-hmm. Is there is it going to become uh and a factor where in the absence of Vince when there are TVs he cannot make, who is running the show? Is Paul Levesque put in his place because that's typically how it works right now. Sure. It's like Paul Levesque is second in command. Um how how they will will gel. I, I think people have to be expecting that if you're an Eric Bischoff, if you're a Paul Heyman, you have to understand you're not coming in here to be a disruptor. You have to make your own fingerprints felt, but do so within the system of WWE and working within the system, which is that fine dance that mm-hmm. I think Vince McMahon feels these two have been able to learn how to navigate that WWE system and play within their rule book. And it's a very different Paul Heyman today than maybe Paul Heyman of 2001, 2002. Um, and then, you know, the guy getting sent home. And what about Eric Bischoff? You know, he's not necessarily coming in. Yeah, he has that experience, but that experience is from more than a decade ago. Yeah, I I cannot imagine it is going to be Eric Bischoff sitting down, writing out two hours of television. I think he, I think he comes with a lot of trepidation, if you are someone watching this, of how he is going to um, update his, his... Like, listen, maybe this guy has had... Um, a lot of great ideas. Maybe he's going to come in here and surprise a lot of people. Maybe he's not even going to get the chance to. Uh, I think that Eric Bischoff, as an on-screen performer, is a tremendous performer. I would I would think that it's only a matter of time before he does have an on-screen role. Um, and I think that ultimately comes down to the weight of what this job entails and if that's even something that should be entertained. Because, in theory, this is something that's going to require all of his attention. Let's go to one more phone call before we get to Brian Mann. Chris from LA, you're on the cafe. What's up? Hey, what's up, guys? Um, I uh, yeah, I woke up to this news. Um, I I just don't know how I feel about um Eric Bischoff. Not so much Paul Heyman. I I think that um Paul Heyman is adaptable, and um I do think that Paul Heyman is going to be good at writing for that audience of one, which is Vince McMahon. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he, I think he would be able to like handle the intricacies of dealing with McMahon. Hey, uh, Bischoff. I'm not just with Bischoff. I saw this guy into in TNA and I always thought that if he had a chance to come back to a prominent role in wrestling, he would do things differently but he brought in Hogan. Um, they got Val Venus and TNA who had been jobbing in WWE for like the greater part of the last five years or so. And he's beating like Christopher Daniels and stuff like that. So I, I'm, I, I'm not saying he'd be, he's He's going to be a horrible fit. I'm just not sure about it. Yeah. I think that Eric Bischoff, I think like we, the idea that someone can go away for a long time and then come back and you give them the benefit of the doubt. I think his TNA run really gave, like, I don't think there's a lot of excuses that come out of that. Like that guy had a major direction in TNA for three years and you, you saw what happened in, in that company during that time. There was some good, there was a lot of bad and it was ultimately, I don't think a successful period that, that you look back on that would necessarily make him a prime candidate 
uh, for this position that you're looking at. But again, um, I, I think that this is ultimately these jobs are going to define themselves over the next two months. And we're going to see what kind of impact uh, these two are, go- are going to be able to have, much less even what they want to push through. Um, it's not a case of just, hey, here, here are your television shows. Have at it. What it's seeing- never going to be like that in WWE. What we're seeing right now, though, I mean, it will be very different from even the last time there was uh, that these guys might have been involved in a brand split because they'll be do- dealing presumably with the same roster. How's that going to play out? Listen, there's many questions of the on-screen product and how this works going uh, back and forth uh, between both. If you are going to have more of a rigid roster now between the two, um, you've just introduced this wild card thing. Is that slowly going to disappear or maybe rapidly disappear? Mm-hmm. Um I think it makes Monday's Raw certainly very interesting because I think you almost have to come out because you've made this public. I think Heyman almost has to start the show with like a mission statement and really um, be, I think you almost need these two to be on screen faces as well to really cement this for people that they're seeing something different, or at least that's the perception they really want to drive home by making this such a public story. Joining us in the cafe right now is our good friend and former WWE creative member, Brian Mann. Uh, Give us your take on this news, Brian. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Can't believe we're doing a whole episode about the Democratic debate. Thanks for having me on, guys. <laughs> Man, uh, instead of Cory Booker, we're talking about the Ron SmackDown bookers. <laughs> yeah, no, this was uh, this was interesting. I, uh, I got a text from a friend of mine with uh, a tweet that contained this information, but from like, uh, you know, from a Twitter account that I, you know, kind of a hit or miss with wrestling news. So I was like, ah, who knows? And then, like, five minutes later, it comes out the Sports Illustrated story that has, like, official confirmation from, you know, from the company. Um, I think it's really – I think this shows a, a certain level of desperation that they're actually making this a public story, that they're, uh, you know, talking to Sports Illustrated, tweeting it out, releasing a press statement. They clearly understand what the perception is, and uh, it's just very interesting that – they're making this a public announcement, not just something that they feel they need to, you know, take care of in the back end. Uh, they're they're getting desperate. Yeah, it's it's an interesting move. I understand why they did make it so public. I mean, it's it's going to have an impact next week on on their viewership. I think there's going to be plenty of people that, as many skeptics as you want regarding this story, that are still going to tune in out of curiosity now to see what kind of changes, be it wholesale or completely fabricated. Um, actually make its way onto the screen. Like, this is kind of that latest reset. And they don't, they don't have a whole lot of resets that they can play now. Yeah, I mean, I think I just... One of the things I tweeted out that I think they need to do, um, if I'm Heyman, um, and he's in a tough spot because he can't really be an on-screen character, I don't think, because he already has an on-screen role. Um, if I'm then, one of the first things I do is, hey, guys, we're, we're going to, you know, shake things up. You guys are going to be getting the Extreme Rules main event tonight on Raw. And just do that mixed tag and just get it out of the way and, you know, be able to move on to some – because realistically, Becky and Seth should be their two biggest stars and just move on to try to get some some worthwhile um, competitors for them. I mean, obviously, I spent a lot of time watching the 2000 Nitros. I don't think they need to do the, the April 10th reboot of stripping everyone of their titles, but I do think they need to very quickly start to make the pivot into some more worthwhile programs for these uh, performers. Hey, what, what's the updated version of Eric Bischoff making the scissors joke to Sid? Is it going up to Will uh, to uh, Seth Rollins and calling him little guy? 
Uh, I think it might be that. I think it might be asking him if he can, you know, uh, if he's going to take his ball and go home, that sort of a thing. Uh, yeah, no, I, 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 the thing, I know a lot of people have concentrated kind of on the, the potential negative here. Uh, you know, Heyman has been back in a creative capacity uh, at the company for a while. From what I've heard people at the company, mixed results. Um, and then Bischoff, I mean, last time we saw him working for someone, it was TNA. And I think that work kind of spoke for itself. The big thing that I hope these roles can do is that when you watch the TV and when you listen to, you know, that, that John Moxley interview, it's very clear that their production process is just broken. Um, they, they have a completely inefficient workflow. Scripts are being thrown out at the last minute. It's just, it's a broken system that they have right now. So even creative uh, choices, who they decide to push, what angles they do, all of that aside, I hope the thing that both these guys can do, um, because agree or disagree with them, they do have significant experience running an operation like this. And hopefully the first thing they can do is kind of come in, reevaluate things, and just reorganize it so that there isn't a situation like we saw with Road Dog, where he quit because he was frustrated of spending all this time just to get it thrown out at the last minute. So hopefully, the big thing I'm hoping for is they can just fix a lot of the chaos backstage and, and just help write the ship and make it make it work in a way that actually makes sense. It's a great point, Brian. And it's like, I, I'm sure... You've talked to people there, like I certainly hear it, that it's, you know, sometimes we we focus so much on the performers having to deal with certain restrictions and it's not always ideal what they would like to, the situation to be. It's also like that on the creative end too, that, you know, that there are plenty of talented people that work there, but it's it's finding how to work within that system that some may perceive as flawed. And I mean, you were there yourself, like that can be a frustrating point too, if you're, if you're a member on that staff and it's, it can be very frustrating at times when it comes to ideas changing on a dime. And I think ultimately we're going to keep coming back to what kind of, uh, what kind of power Heyman and Bischoff are really coming in here with. If it's, if it's ultimately the same showrunner at the end of the line. Yeah. I think we're gonna have to keep a, keep a real eye out for any reports that come out uh, next Tuesday or Wednesday about what was the workflow backstage. Um, if this is a situation where, you know, I think everyone's kind of heard about how the production meeting works. I mean, you have all these people in the room ahead of the show. And then at the top, you know, the front table, you got Vince, you got, uh, I don't know if Hunter is still there, but you got Kevin Dunn. Is this a situation where they're just throwing another chair uh, up at that table? Or is this a situation where Vince is not at the production meeting hmm. and it's Heyman or Bischoff running that meeting. And then they go and give a report to Vince, or maybe Vince isn't even at the building. Um, it'll be interesting to see because, the big thing that I've sort of said for a long time is that Vince has so many things going on right now. He's got his first competition in years. He's got these sliding ratings. He's also decided that he's, he's still running the business side of this company. He's still the CEO and chairman. Plus, he's also launching this XFL thing, not to mention the fact that he is massively out of touch with his audience, and he is in his mid-70s. Any one of those things would be a lot to deal with. Um, and, and I think just honestly for the creative process, him just being removed is really the best thing uh, for a period of time. And maybe it's, it's a situation where, you know, I don't see this happening, but maybe it's, hey, Bischoff, Heyman, you guys run things on the ground and we'll reevaluate in a month and see where we're at. Because I think Vince not physically being there would really go a long way. But at the very least, I hope he's not in the production meeting. You know, pr presuming like these are – these are roles that that are really going to have some significance behind them in terms of the the influence that they will have. Do you like the timing that, you know, we're going into the summer. We're really 
television numbers can be thrown out. Everything is about the fall. Do you think this is the right time to uh, install these kinds of positions th- so that hopefully you have something that is resembling an updated product come September and especially by October where this company is entering uh, its its most important television deal it's ever signed? Yeah, it's interesting to look at because, I, I mean, I would like to know when these decisions were made. Um, was this a snap rush decision of like, oh, my God, um, you know, how bad the, the ratings were this past Monday with like less than a 2% increase for the night after a pay-per-view? I don't think um, this happened like was, overnight or anything like that. Like it's been discussed right. for, for some time. Um, I don't know when the it was actually finalized, but... Like, this isn't a case of, you know, last week Vince just came up with this. It doesn't sound like that was the case. Right. But, like, the decision to make it public and the decision right. to, to draw attention to it, um, rather than just sort of being a thing like, oh, hey, some wrestling sites reported that Bruce Pritchard is back, you know? Uh, I do think that the hiring of Bischoff and the fact that they specifically highlighted that a large part of his role will be working directly with Fox, I think is a real acknowledgement of them just saying, hey, Vince can't do this. Vince can't do it all. And I think that's such an important relationship. And again, they've just gotten to the point where running these five hours of TV can't be Vince's side job. It needs to be someone's full-time, completely dedicated focus. They're not worried about a football league. They're not worried about running the business end of things. They are just dealing with the creative of this show. And I mean, if we're looking in terms of guys that have experience working with wrestlers, organizing a team, um, these two are very good, you know, they're personal creative face to side. From a production standpoint, uh, Brian, um, do you expect there to be much difference between Raw and SmackDown? I mean, as far as we know, the, uh, you know, all the technical people, Kevin Dunn probably still involved with everything. But what, what changes do you expect in terms of presentation? Um, right off the bat, I hope both of them, um, I hope we kind of back on that wild card rule first of all i hope that both shows have their own um have their own sort of uh feelings and 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 their own sort of rosters and they're unique rosters and i would love to see maybe some of the 205 live guys start to be shown on smackdown a little bit uh i think it'd be really great for them to just first kind of define what their identity is unfortunately when it comes to production i don't think we're going to see much of a change there i think they are so kind of locked into what their house style is. I mean, you can look down at NXT and the aesthetic choices are very slight in terms of how things are different. I mean, backstage stuff still kind of a shot the same, entering stuff is shot the same. And other than the fact their graphics being like a little glitchy, overall it's the same aesthetic. So I don't think production-wise anything's going to really change. Do you see Brian a more kind of public face now of creative in Heyman and Eric Bischoff that this, you know, for so long it's, it's like, that aspect of the company's business has always just been uh, kind of hidden. But slowly we've seen, you know, that, that that video popped up of the creative staff talking about the, the you know, that kind of PR reel. And do you see Heyman and Bischoff being sent out more to do certain types of media and kind of attach two faces now to the creative process? It's tough. I mean, Bischoff is such kind of a... He's a double-edged sword. He can be his own worst enemy sometimes. Like, uh, I think he's great when he's on camera. He's very well-spoken. He's the kind of guy that you can put out there who could say, you know, if if something came up where he needed to talk to the news or something like that, he's great for that. He's going to be amazing at working with Fox. But then he's also one of these dudes who jumps on Twitter and, you know, kind of puts his foot in his mouth sometimes. Um, Heyman's been a little 
better at not being publicly out there with that sort of a thing. I've thought for a long time that um, letting people know who write these, who the writers of these stories are, could actually be kind of a positive for them. Um, I think letting people actually get excited about some of this. Well, don't you know, bleed it and put it on screen or anything like that. But I think it's an interesting way to allow people to invest in the product. I remember like. Was it like five or six years ago? They did a thing where like some of the creative members did a panel at Comic Con, and it was like a one-time only thing. They never right. did it again. Yeah, but I, I I do think that you know I I think you look at AEW, and I don't think they're going to go fully in this direction. But the fact that those guys are on Twitter and interact with fans, and I was I was hanging out with some friends watching uh, Stomping Grounds actually the other day, and one thing that I pointed out that makes AEW so different from WWE is that AEW, you can tell, is dedicated to making their fans happy and keeping their fans watching and just giving the fans what they want. You cannot say that has been the case for WWE. They almost seem resentful of the people who watch their show, and their main tactics lately have been how do we trick people into watching our show. They have no respect for the, for their audience, and hopefully – I don't know if Heyman and Bischoff will be able to embrace social media in that way, but it needs to stop being so antagonistic. Um, I, I think they really need to warn themselves up. I think even if you just see what Seth's been doing this past week, it, it, it's very clear that they don't know how to have a, a positive relationship with their audience, and it would be great if, if Heyman or, or, or Bischoff could, could kind of reverse that. I will say, Brian, you know, it seems like that particular philosophy is being embraced by Paul Avec as a part of NXT you know, uh, having 100%. a great relationship with the media, it seems. Uh, where do you kind of see his role being in, in all this? I will say, I think it's very telling that um, it is Eric Bischoff and, uh, and and Paul Heyman and not, say, Paul Levesque and uh, Gabe Sapolsky getting this phone call. Um, I have nothing to base this on at all. But, um, you know, you hear these reports of apparently Paul being kind of agitated with Vince, um, what's happened with a lot of the call-ups. And I also, I was to say, I think if Hunter wasn't Paul, if Hunter wasn't Vince's son-in-law, I think he would have fired him a long time ago. Um, we know how competitive Vince is, and the fact there's a guy who's working for him, making a superior product, and everyone is begging for him to take over, I think that gets to Vince. And in the past, he would have just fired that person. But he's in a position where he cannot fire Hunter. And, and so I think it, he's going to so keep up. Sorry to interrupt, Brian, but when we go back yeah. to someone who kind of had that tag that would not just sit there, but would be, you know, would argue and go back and forth with Vince, that really describes Paul Heyman's run once upon a time. And, you know, while yeah. Vince may publicly, you know, those around him say he he welcomes those challenges, I, in the case of Heyman, like, it, it wore thin after a while where it kind of got the guy was looked upon as someone that didn't choose his battles as wisely and... Paul Levesque, you would imagine, is probably better at picking his battles, but kind of fits that that same kind of role. Yeah, and I think he's also pretty smart in terms of the long game and kind of understanding that, again, he's in this great position where he will never be fired. Um, and I think just kind of buying his time and the fact that he has been able to pretty much set up a complete satellite company down in Orlando has been pretty pretty smart. And, um, you know, it's it also seems like he, he is picking his battles right, where, yeah, he can look and say, wow, you're really misusing uh, Alistair Black and Ricochet and uh, a lot of these call-ups, but as we, don't, we don't really hear about fights between, uh, between them over that kind of stuff. 
Uh, Brian, we want to thank you very much for uh, for jumping on. Uh, great to get your perspective mm-hmm. on this. And I think that ultimately this is uh, something that no one's going to be able to definitively answer how significant this is until probably, you know, two or three months when we can really look at the programming and where it is, where it isn't, and and what kind of power these positions hold, because that's going to be a, a very intriguing element of television throughout the summer now following this news. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, only time will tell. I mean, we'll obviously all be watching next week, seeing if there's any changes. I feel like they have to have some changes um, yes. just to, you know, give credence to the press releases and everything. Um, so that'll be interesting. I mean, the fear is, is that, you know, is this a situation like WCW bringing in, you know, Bill Watts? Is this going a little too far into the past? Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But thank you for having me, guys. You can follow him at Brian Max Man, and maybe he's going to be providing us some threads on what should happen on <laughs> Raw SmackDown. I look forward to it, Brian. Always great to catch up with you. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Brian. All right. Uh, momentarily, we will be joined by our next guest. But um, after we chat with Damien, we will go through the cards that are coming up this weekend. Ring of Honor is going to be holding their best in the world pay-per-view on Friday night from Baltimore. And then Saturday night, it is Fighter Fest as All Elite Wrestling comes back with their second show. Um, seems like they, they certainly own this weekend in terms of the the interest of any wrestling or uh, MMA for that matter. I think that this is one that uh, everyone is going to be looking at how how much of a follow-up this is to uh, Double or Nothing, whether that's a fair comparison or not. But there's there's a lot of eyes on this show on Saturday. As a second show, absolutely. It'll be very telling, you know, uh, what, what some of their booking decisions might be going forward. Joining us on the line right now on the cafe, our good friend, Damian Abraham. What's the, up? The executive director of Viceland Wrestling Programming. Damian Abraham. That's not really the credit that I got on the show, but I'll go with it, John. I'm definitely going to go with it. I thought they were going to issue a press release today to announce you as their new executive director. <laughs> nope, no, I am. Uh, I am just still co-producer, creator, and host. But yeah, maybe, I'll take those two. It'll be Vi- Viceland's uh, brand split. It'll be between the wrestlers and Dark Side of the Ring. Ooh, that would be that would be amazing. I'd like to see us each control each controlling a different night because we do have. Like Bischoff and Paul Heyman, two completely different philosophies about pro wrestling. Will we get a wild card? I mean, Damien will show up. Uh, Gino Hernandez will show up on. Well, Gino wrestlers. Hernandez is not going to oh, show I'm, up I'm on, on either well, show. I, I, I want to. If we do get a wild card, I want Jim Cornette to come over and I want him to uh, to hang out with uh, Jun Kasai for a little bit. <laughs> Are there any crossovers? Are there any people you interviewed that also were on Dark Side of the Ring, or was it? Uh, uh, were there no wild cards? I don't think there. I don't think there are any. I don't think there are. As I'm, as I'm strictly different products. Yeah, look yeah. at that. You guys did the brand split better. Um, so yeah. we, <laughs> we've got one week to go, uh, Damien, and this week I, I think that this is one. I'm curious what the response level has been like for the first episode we're going to talk about the craziest wrestling in Japan. This is pretty much an hour dedicated to DDT, and to me, maybe the most interesting wrestler in the world, Kota Ibushi. I mean, I could. I could watch a three-hour documentary of this guy sitting and just talking about what he thinks about anything, and I think it would be must-see television. Yeah, he has just got this incredibly captivating presence, and you know, and that's the thing. He could be reading the phone book, and it would still be interesting, but to hear him talk about pro wrestling and, and his approach to pro wrestling, like I remember doing that interview with friend of the show, Chris Charlton, uh, as well, present, kind of doing the translating and both of us just being in awe of like the experience of sitting in his apartment, 
getting to just geek out with him about pro wrestling and like his approach to it. His, and it also just on a larger level, his approach to art and creativity and just kind of hearing, you know, how this one of the great artists of our time in the medium of pro wrestling approaches this medium. Did you get to go to the secret dojo of Kota Bushi's that is like off in the in the woods somewhere? We did. <laughs> it's it's definitely a trek. And on the way back, I I didn't pee before we left, and I nearly peed my pants in the ride back. And Chris Charlton did not help trying to make me pee myself repeatedly oh. on that ride. <laughs> you but you it, didn't have a golden was... shower. Oh no, no, I do. <laughs> Man, I'm on fire today. <laughs> Damn. You are, John. This is a this is like John's working blue tonight. Way I'm, oh. I apologize for your poor ears. Oh, dude, I'm I'm, uh, I'm used to it. I like it. Um, <laughs> you know, you mentioned you mentioned Kota Ibushi kind of really really being like an artist uh, inside the ring, and I think you know this whole episode by extension. Uh, there's no real better place for him to kind of exercise that type of craft than a company like DDT, where. Uh, you know, to me, like I always regarded DDT as sort of, oh, okay, it's that like comedy wrestling league where that that does like crazy wrestling. But if you watch this episode and you hear Sinchiro Takagi talk about the philosophy behind it, it really is more of a, a promotion to me that seems to encourage free thinking and free creativity, no matter what that is, and just so happens to be, and oftentimes, comedy. Um, but uh, first of all, why did you choose DDT to focus on for this particular episode? I think just being a fan of pro wrestling, you know, in the last few years and just, you know, just you couldn't help but be aware of DDT. Like, as you say, it's the, and I think we even say in the episode, the most creatively free wrestling company in the world, like by outward appearances or that, that I knew of the time, you know, and it's somewhere that someone like Kenny Omega, someone that was basically bullied out of American wrestling could go and, and just be himself and, and find himself and become the wrestler he's become. And I think you see that with Koto Ibushi. You see that with a lot of American wrestlers. Like Joey Ryan obviously had a lot of success. You know, he had that, you know, short little run in TNA as well beforehand. But it's really that 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 penis plex with, uh, or the, what is it, the U-Porn plex now, I guess, right? Or Pornhub plex. Yes. Uh, that, uh, U-Porn. That really put him on the map. You know, like that was, and that was in DDT. That was with Dino. And so it's, it's this place where I think wrestlers can go be themselves and find themselves and, and still put on incredible wrestling matches. Like that's the thing is like a lot of people take shots at it for, you know, the fact that these guys put on these wrestling matches with a doll, but you know, what's that, what's the famous quote? Like if you can put on a great wrestling match with a broomstick, you're a great wrestler. And I think this is that taking the logical extreme and, you know, to see these guys put on these matches with this doll, it's, that is truly wrestling at its highest level. How was it to deal with, with DDT itself and kind of be like you were pretty much if you were going to do a one hour special on DDT at, at this time period when Kota's still there, like you got to speak to pretty much the central figures. I mean, how how was it just dealing with the actual promotion and how open they were to uh, allowing you in to kind of explore their entire company? Once again, I think we were really lucked out with timing because this was just before DDT signed that deal with that streaming service that took it to kind of a different place. So at this point we were still dealing with Takagi-san and just the DDT front office. And we called him and it was actually after Kota had left. Uh, but we still kind of, um, you know, we talked to them and then talked to Kota kind of separately and felt that to tell the story of DDT, we kind of had to tell the story of Kota Ibushi just because, you know, the two kind of go hand in hand. And, and he's certainly for, for Western viewers like myself, the, the most, you know, present of all of their, their, that they've had um mm -hmm. certainly more than like someone like harashima you know no disrespect to harashima so 
you know, we just we just kind of hit them up, and it was it was you know, once we got there and once we were backstage at these shows, there were a lot more restrictions that we were kind of dealing with, but it kind of were hands off on how we handled things. You know, they let us kind of deal with the wrestlers and just kind of go from there. And there were a couple of guys that just didn't show up for shoots. Like it was amazing how different it was dealing with DDT than say stardom or freedoms where, you know, everything was very regimented and with DDT, it was, it was regimented, but there was also like a certain level of, well, you know, these guys are their own bosses. One of the guys who did show up for multiple shoots, it seems, was Don Shikudino, who uh, yes. was, was very hands-on. <laughs> very hands-on. <laughs> yeah, wanna... my nipple still rings out in pain. <laughs> what I, I'm very curious, what were your particular discussions with the producers of, of the wrestlers in dealing with a character like Don Shikudino, who, you know, if he was ever presented outside of the context of DDT, if WWF ever had a character like his... I think there'd be tons of outrage and, you know, for uh, an outlet like, like vice, um, how, what were your discussions in, in, in trying to present this character while, you know, conveying what his appeal is, but at the same time, maybe answering how it, how it, it is that it works in Japan. But if it was in North America, a lot of people might be kind of upset. Yeah. I think before we went over there and this is probably my fault, but there was more of an, like an antagonistic kind of relationship with Dino and what role Dino was going to play in the documentary, just because yeah, from viewing it from my perspective, you know, my Toronto perspective, Canadian perspective. And I think, you know, Nathan and Jeff on their Vancouver perspective viewed it. It was kind of like, Oh, this is something that's weird and, and, and homophobic and, and just like all the things that make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up in inversion. And I think once we got over there and to begin to understand the history of Yaoi, which I'm brutalizing the pronunciation of, I'm sure, but understanding that there's this whole kind of history of these sort of themes and, and the idea that, you know, Dino never breaks character. It's not like, you know, you know, he's actually going home to a wife and kids at the end. Like, you know, wrestlers that we talked to, and they might have been working us, who knows. But, you know, there seemed like there was a general confusion about whether or not this is Dino as a character that's just completely divorced from who he is as a person or, you know, as some very hyper caricaturized version of some side of his personality. Like that seemed to be something that a lot of other wrestlers we talked to really grapple with as well. And I think you see it there. Like Irie was not into Dino. He says straight up, like, I think it's offensive and I think there's no place for a character like this, you know, but then Koto Ibushi talked about how he's like, you know, still confused about who Dino is as a person. And it, so it was, yeah, it was something that I think, you know, leaving Japan, I had a very different take on it than when I went to Japan. I still obviously think it's problematic, but at the same time, I think it's a lot more, I don't know, like I think WH brought up a great point when he was talking about the stardom episode with you, John, about just it's, it's hard to kind of divorce yourself from your cultural biases to view something. Um, you know, and especially something as a straight person you, trying to comment on something that's, you know, obviously not from my world. So I, I just, I, yeah, like it was, it was very interesting. It was a very interesting thing to try and tackle. You also got to talk to uh, Hanae, who was a, a female super fan of DDT. And you kind of, you know, let us, let the viewer know that DDT happens to appeal to a very large female demographic. And why do you think that is compared to, you know, even something like stardom or new Japan pro wrestling? I think it's the aforementioned yaoi, which is, uh, you know, this sort of man-on-man gay erotica that's targeted and marketed almost exclusively towards women. 
And I think that's what DDT is really playing with. And you, you look through and it's not just Dino. It's, there's a lot of storylines and a lot of angles and a lot of characters that kind of play with this sort of ambiguous sort of sexuality that kind of runs throughout it. I think it's that. I think it's also the fact that you've got these Adonises in the ring. Like you go through DDT's roster and even Dino, who's not as conventionally attractive as say someone like in um, Koto Ibushi, you know, but he's still cute as, as uh, Takagi points out. And everyone in that company is good looking and everyone in that company is, is very personable. And it just, I don't know. There's just like a, a really fun vibe to those shows. Like if DDT was in North America, I would go to it all the time. Like it would just be, it's those shows felt really different. And if the audience, I would say is 60% women, 70% women, wow. you know, and then there's all, yeah, it's, it's very different. And then the beer hall shows are just like a wild party. Uh, Kota also mentions uh, when he's speaking with you that if he had to choose between money and wrestling, he'll always choose wrestling and even going so far, far as to say that he could envision a future where it's less about structured promotions and just these talents for hire that can just be going place to place and kind of running themselves in essence does it surprise you looking in hindsight that we're not only i think in north america are we seeing more of that mindset creep up of those that may be unsatisfied where they are that their art does take precedence to the dollar figure they're making uh, but also the fact that here we are and Kota Ibushi has signed a long-term contract with New Japan and was something that it seemed that Kota was, was never going to sign a contract. Yeah, I think I think Kota eventually signed the contract because it made sense for him. But I think it was, you know, we were shooting this episode in the fallout of the CWC where you had both Zack Sabre Jr., both Zack Sabre Jr. and Kota Ibushi kind of get to the CWC, obviously be priorities for the WWE would both walk away, you know, and say, no, we want something else. And you also had the young bucks. You had, you know, all these people that were out there on the Indies making this money, but you get to the end of the day and you have to decide like, do you want security or do you want freedom? And I think with Koto Ibushi, if tomorrow new Japan, you know, looked at him funny, I think he'd walk. I still think he's that guy, you know? And I think he's, he would just, he's just going to go wherever he feels like, the wind's going to take him like he you know going to his apartment walking in there seeing how he lives he doesn't seem like a guy who's got want of a lot of money you know he seems like a guy who lives very much within his means even even below where he's able probably to live and uh you know he just he's doing it because he loves the art uh we got one question actually from a, a viewer uh, uh who who's been a big fan of the wrestlers that uh they wanted me to ask you damien and this comes from dan ball who says thank you after watching last night's episode of The Wrestlers, I thought it was a well-balanced effort to capture the big variety and even bigger characters that DDT brings to wrestling, even capturing footage of the elusive lingerie Muto. Was there anyone Damien wished there was more time for in the episode? As a longtime DDT fan, it was too bad. Poison Sawada Julie was not around the company at the time of filming. Yeah, there were definitely like, there were certainly other wrestlers that I think would have been really cool to, to focus on. I think one of the things that we would have liked to have done timing wise, it didn't work out was more focus on kind of the kind of a foreigner coming in a gaijin coming in. And just this idea that this is a place where, you know, someone like a Mike Bailey, who's not allowed into America right now can kind of go and just be free and do his fellow wrestling or someone like, um, someone like a Joey Ryan or someone like Kenny Omega. It just seems like a place where 
these wrestlers can kind of go and find themselves. And we were talking to some of these wrestlers and it just, you know, was so chaotic, especially because we were trying to film three episodes at once. Mm-hmm. I would have loved this. to have seen you in the middle of the, the pool party. I would have loved to have been at the pool party. I would have the campground show. There was just, you know, if we had been in time for the train show, that would have been amazing too. You know, they just, if DDT is a company that just feels for, feels like it rewards you as a fan, like Wayne and I went to the bar they have. They have their own bar, John, where I'm sure you're you're going to go when you're over there. It's called Dropkick, and wrestlers actually tend bar there, and they're showing Samurai TV, and fans go, and they own their own bottles of whiskey, and they hang out together. It, it really is like a, an immersive reality kind of place, DDT. This was also the episode that I, I feel felt uh, there, there was a lot more uh, sketches from you including you're sitting down and interviewing Yoshihiko as the credits are rolling. And then we go right into the next episode where it's looking at Canada's first nations people. And it was very jarring Damien (laughs) to go from one to the next. And once again, I didn't take the track list. I don't know how you would have followed up with, with Yoshihiko, honestly, it's tough. That's, that's really the, the crescendo. Yeah. I think this is also the episode where we eventually just went with it, you know, like it was, it was just so, you know, such a weird, complicated world that eventually we were just like, let's just get caught up in the storyline and just kind of fall into it. Like, so it's almost like at a certain point, the wrestling reality becomes the real reality. And I was like legitimately worked by the film crew, as I found out, because they knew that Takagi-san's wife was going to come out there and do a spot. But I had no idea. So when she came out, I was like, what? Like I, I was shocked. Your reactions really... like, again, like make make a lot of these matches. So I'm glad they didn't tell you. Yeah, uh, I mean, in, yeah. in this one, on wrestling on Canada's reserves is what we're moving on to. And I realized that Damien reacting to uh, Tournament of Death versus Damien reacting to fireworks going off on Canada Day, it's a straight <laughs> line in terms of your reaction level. Those fireworks were the most dangerous thing I experienced while shooting this TV show. Forget the glass in Japan. Forget, like, all the stuff we had to deal with in the Congo. This is the most dangerous thing. Those fireworks were so low when they were going off. You were getting hit by the gunpowder as it was coming shooting out of the fireworks. This episode took you to places like Wiscoganish, places, like, at the furthest perimeter of quebec that probably no one has ever ventured to willingly unless you're with the cwf group running these shows uh on various reserves and i mean this is a pretty this is a pretty deep episode damien because Mm -hmm. you're going into canada's you know very troubled history with native americans in this in this country like first nations people and it's it's not a pretty history no and and it's not a pretty present too i think that was the other thing right I was just talking to someone right now um, about it before you guys called, and it's it's amazing when you can read about something and you can really think you understand something. Like I was, I thought myself to be really aware of what the situation was like for a lot of young people on the reserves throughout Canada and Nunavik and Nunavut. But until I was there and kind of got to witness how the environmental devastation has affected these people, how just just the it just the isolation has affected people. It, it's just really, it really hit home. That was the most, it's the most expensive episode we had to make too. Like just from cost of travel, cost of accommodation and cost of food, like a bucket of KFC in Kajurlapak, which is um, great whale, which is where we went, um, which is the furthest we went uh, is $80 mm-hmm. and what? a combo from, Jeez. yeah. And it's like 20, 20 some odd dollars for a combo. 
Cause and, it, it takes it, so much to get the food. Like some places you have to literally airlift the food to get there. And the markup is enormous uh, to, to cover just um, like it's it's these areas of Canada that are, you know, I'm sure many of the people, they feel like they're forgotten from their own country. Oh, I was, I was sitting there talking to Kayla and I'm like, you know, uh, what, like she were talking and she's like, yeah, I really, there's like a lot of stuff I really want to do. I'm like, oh, what's some things you really want to do? She's like, I'd love to play video games online because there's no high speed internet, right? So this entire concept of playing these video games online or getting downloadable content is just something kids just, and it seems like such a small thing, but it's just something that you just wind up taking for granted, you know, or like the fact that you talk about the food and it has, the fact that it has to be flown in for years, it could be driven in over these ice roads, but now these ice roads don't freeze over because of global warming as long. So they don't have as long a window to drive goods in. And that's also not just food, but consumer goods, anything like that. So it's really, you know, increased the, the kind of pressure on these goods and the cost for these goods and things like that. And also traditional ways of life and traditional means of sustenance like hunting and fishing are, are gone because these natural reserves of these animals are depleted. It's it's an episode that really kind of showed me how little I knew about my own country because I'm sure this you know uh, th- these stories are, are shared by many First Nations people all all across Canada. Um, and in particular, I thought uh, the inclusion of Tim from a tra- tribe called Red I really enjoyed because he you know as a lifelong uh, uh, pro wrestling fan was able to talk about how he kind of had to look out outside of like you know people that look like him for representation in professional wrestling going as far as you know to say it was the ultimate warrior he felt like he could find some identity with not because he was you know a first nations guy but simply because he represented a warrior and you know as an asian canadian i feel like i i've been kind of lacking representation in mainstream media but even as an indigenous person i imagine that problem might be even greater it's 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 not just with people indigenous people or people of asian descent it's like you talk to anybody it seems like wrestling provided a lot of representation or at least a way of having or feeling like you were being represented in media for young people you know and i you talk to black people people when in the congo episode talking about you know seeing booker t or mvp or just any sort of african-american wrestler on tv it was you know that was those are their wrestlers that they're seeing on tv and it's it's just once again, I, th- I think speaks to the universality of wrestling that it can provide representation for all different types of people. But yeah, no, it, it definitely was really important to have Tim there, and I'm eternally grateful. He drove 22 hours by himself, crazy, to be there just because he loves wrestling and he'd always wanted to see these guys, the fabulous Creebirds, who who actually would come out to a tribe called Red Song. Like that was the other thing that never really came across, unfortunately, in the edit is that. Shadow was like very much a, a kind of a fan of Tim's and Tim had been a fan of shadows just through hearing about him wrestling for years. And so to kind of see them come together was, was awesome. Sorry. I missed that in the episode They They call themselves the fabulous Cree birds. He was part of a, he, there was a, uh, a three person tag team of Cree wrestlers in Winnipeg called the fabulous Cree birds who shadow. Awesome. I don't know if he's one of the original members, but he certainly was a member for a time of the fabulous Cree birds. He told us. Shadow Extreme I found to be a really interesting character because you know you look at him as a wrestler does not does not have the physique nor the charisma that I think you've come to expect from a a, a typical wrestler but he 
seems to be a major role model to these kids that are watching him because simply, you know, by, by, by fact of being a wrestler of indigenous descent, but it seems like even more importantly, somebody who has stayed away from alcoholism and drugs, which I mean, in the community already seems to be an achievement. He, he's, he's an amazing human being. Like he was someone that, you know, I, I hit it off immediately after just as soon as we met, you know, he's a guy who, and he's had like, ridiculous matches he wrestled aj styles in winnipeg wow and you know like he he's had he's been around for a long time and paid his dues in winnipeg and he's someone who i think has been has been really beaten down by the fact that he can't catch a break in wrestling and and so you know these these tours are a place where he's you know really found a connection and to see the connection that he has the kids that come out to these shows that it's a more important connection than any other wrestler i witnessed while making this show anywhere, like even in Mexico and in Bolivia, like we talked with the fighting Cholitas, like the actual one-on-one connection that he has with people like Kayla, you see in the episode is just, it's just so profoundly important. I also found it really fascinating that, you know, not only do we kind of get your perspective uh, on, on the whole kind of situation from like sort of a Canadian perspective, but we also get the perspective of somebody who's even further outside of that bu- bubble in Keito Kiyomiya, who was on excursion from Noah and is now their GHC champion and, and basically like somehow yeah. found his way a part of these tours. Well, he told us that he was actually like, and this is once again, we didn't actually know a lot of what he was saying. Until we got back and had the tapes translated, because there was no one there that spoke any Japanese, and he did speak a tiny bit of English, you know. But but really, he's kind of experiencing this whole thing in isolation, and so the interview was conducted with him completely in Japanese, and just kind of like Google Translate, trying to give him the questions, just saying, you know, say whatever you want to say, we'll figure it out later. And it was amazing getting back and and looking at what he thought, and just being like, wow, this guy is. Is taking it all in on a way that you know I would not be able to take it in if I didn't speak the language. Um, he he told us he was trying to uh, replicate Mara Fuji's excursion when Mara Fuji came to. I guess he, Mara Fuji did an excursion where he went to Niagara Falls for a time and wrestled, and that's what uh, Kato did. But he instead got with the CWF and ended up going on this incredible trip. And yeah, it was it was awesome sitting there in these like very small hotels, just like watching YouTube links, you know, waiting for them to buffer forever, but then watching YouTube links of old Japanese wrestling with them. And of course, uh, this all builds up to the father versus son match with uh, Jesse Bieber and his father, who is also the promoter that runs the CWF group, Frank uh, Reichman, who have, one of the more violent matches that we have seen outside of your deathmatch episode where these two killed each other on like a family show that I don't know if the match really suited the room, but I guess, I guess they made sure to lay it in. Suited the cameras. I guess so. Maybe they thought, man, this is your big break, Jesse. You're going to get on vice. They, they were awesome to have us on that trip. And like, you know, Chris, Chris, you know, Chris Thorne trained with, uh, um, uh, what's his name? Skinner, you know, like he, he trained with all like the legit Florida guys and, and, you know, can lay it in and his son definitely came up wrestling with his dad. So his son can lay it in too. So when they went out there and had this, you know, barn burner of a match for this audience that really just wanted to see people play musical chairs, I was, oh, I was so stoked. That was just such an amazing experience to kind of watch happen but the kids got into it too you know 
The musical chairs thing was. got over big. Huge, huge. It was, uh, yeah, there, it was the musical chairs. You really get to see how there's these certain things that are universally adored by children everywhere. Like that would have gotten over in Mexico, would have gotten over in Bolivia and the Congo. It would have gotten over, and maybe not in the Congo, but it would have gotten over pretty much everywhere. Well, that is where we are heading next week. It is the season finale of The Wrestlers, another night of back-to-back episodes where we are going to get voodoo wrestling in the Congo, followed by body-slamming homophobia in Mexico, uh, starting at 10 Eastern next Wednesday night. And it's, it's a big treat for us because next Thursday here on The Hangout, Damien returns live in studio. I do, and we're going to try and reenact the opening spot from the Congo episode. I'm going to say no to that because I, I am aware what happens in this episode and I am not going to agree to anything of the sort. Can you give us a, a little preview, Damien? What, 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 like I, you know, for people who have no idea what co- wrestling in the Congo might look like uh, for both of these episodes, what could we expect? Absolutely. I think these are you know, two of the most uh, you know, mind-blowing episodes for me to make and hopefully for people to see. Uh, once again, kind of an awkward kind of lead-in for the Exoticos episode, but the Congo episode, it, wrestling in the Congo features magic, and this is something that developed over decades now, and every wrestler who wrestles is a witch, and you wrestle for free, but you wrestle for the opportunity to demonstrate your power as a witch. So the 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 magic used will vary. Sometimes it'll be just freezing your opponent. Sometimes it'll be you know making the referee go into a trance and do a dance, and then it escalates to uh, Lauren Shakira, who opens the episode with a, uh, uh, I guess, an, a mid-ring castration of her opponent. Oh. This will be a first. A live castration on Viceland next week, so tune in early, everyone. <laughs> it's um, It sounds <laughs> it amazing. It sounds amazing. And, and it is, it th- is this also has really the, cool. the one scene I saw that I was genuinely fearful of your life, even though I know you survived it, but we will talk about that as well, of you going into business for yourself, and I, I don't know what you were thinking. I'm trying to get in that situation alive. I thought that was my best play, but we'll talk about that next week. And then Exotico's episode deals with, uh, you know, an area of wrestling that I think is very misunderstood, very uh, controversial, and that is Exotico's, which is historically a sector of Lucha Libre that was used to mock gay and effeminate men that throughout the late 80s and into the 90s was fought for as a space for gay men to be open with their sexuality by wrestlers like Cassandro and Pimpinella Escalata. But now in the present day, there's a bunch of wrestlers who no longer see themselves as exoticos, but want to be recognized as luchadoras, but are not allowed to because they're not, their gender is not recognized by, by mainstream lucha. So it's a, it's a very interesting episode, and we really get to sit down with with like a, a Mount Rushmore of wrestlers in this field. Like there's, it's, it's amazing. I'm really excited for people to see this episode. It's one of the most beautiful episodes too. Well, we look forward to sitting down to one of the, the one of the people on the Mount Rushmore of great guests that we always get to have. That's oh, you, so we look forward oh. to it. The wrestlers next Wednesday night, tune in 10 Eastern back to back episodes to wrap up. The first of maybe many seasons, uh, as Damien has been uh, very generous with his time, and he'll, he will be on for one final time next week, live here in studio. Damien, thanks as always for stopping by, and we'll chat with you next week. Can't wait. All right. There we go, everyone. A, a rather tame closing from Damien. I know. I was waiting for it. I wasn't ready. 
before we get out of here, we should go over the two big cards that are coming up this weekend. Uh, we've got Ring of Honor on pay-per-view Friday night. Um, man, I don't, I don't sense a whole lot of buzz for this show. Well, I feel like there are three promotions putting on uh, shows this weekend, and I would say Ring of Honor seems to be at the bottom of the three in, and, in terms of buzz. I mean, they largely have the night to themselves on Friday night. I just I don't know how much. It's actually funny because, man, it's been like three or four ROH pay-per-views now where I, I always get together with Mike to watch him, and I always invite Mouth to come over and watch. And he's always got a gig or he's got a Trash Palace or something going on, and he's busy. And then this week, the week I'm away, he messages me. Hey, what are you doing for Ring of Honor on Friday? Oh, and I was like, damn, I'm going to be out of the city. So let's quickly go through the card and then we'll spend a bit of time on Fighter Fest. Uh, it's headlined by Matt Taven versus Jeff Cobb for the ROH title. I really believe Jeff Cobb should be their top guy with the title. I don't see a title change here, especially with Cobb going into the G1, but he would be the guy I would be going with right now. I think Ring of Honor needs to really shake things up. They are in a lull at the moment, mm-hmm. and I think that they are in a, a very deep hangover period after that Madison Square Garden show where things hit a certain peak point and now they're really going through the effects of the loss of talent and just the fallout of it that it's I think it's become a product that lacks that buzz so what do you think they do with this booking because if ultimately Jeff Cobb to you should be that guy and he's about to go into the G1 is this just poor timing for for a match like this yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens on Friday. Maybe they could do a fast one, but I think that they're going with Matt Taven as their heel champion throughout the summer, and then maybe this leads to something in the fall, or maybe he's going to hold it until final battle. I don't know. I don't get the sense they're going to be taking the title off of him. Shane Taylor defends the television title against Bandito. Uh, Silas Young versus Jonathan Gresham. That's going to be a pure rules match. Dragon Lee versus Dalton Castle. Just like a weird stylistic one. Uh, Marty Skrull, PCO, and Brody King defending the six-man tag titles against Tracy Williams, PJ Black, and Mark Haskins. Uh, Nick Aldis and a partner to be announced versus the Briscoe Brothers. This was going to be Colt Cabana. He's hurt, and they're going to announce during the pre-show who his partner is. And whoever the partner is has also uh, joined the NWA. So he's going to be figured into NWA stuff going forward. The Allure. Mandy Leone and Angelina Love will take on Kelly Klein and Jenny Rose. Jay Lethal versus Kenny King. And on the pre-show, Flip Gordon versus Roosh. Yeah, I'm surprised that one's on the pre-show, actually. It's one of the ones I would probably look forward to a yeah. bit more. Um, That's at 8.30 Eastern on their Facebook page. And on if you order the pay-per-view, I think it's going to be on the pay-per-view providers. But... Yeah, I just I don't sense a whole lot of buzz for this show at the moment. Sure, or for the a, product. Sure, it'll be a solid card. You know, the talent is is incredible. Um, but in terms of buzz, not necessarily up there. Saturday night, we shift our focus to Fighter Fest from the Ocean Center in Daytona Beach, Florida. Uh, the buy-in, which starts at seven thirty Eastern. I don't know if the, it's it been explicitly said, but it, they're telling people to tune in for seven thirty. Okay. Basically. Uh, so I guess we have two matches officially announced for the buy-in, where it's uh, Chuck Taylor and Beretta against Scorpio Sky and Frankie Kazarian versus Private Party uh, in a three-way tag. Winners advance to All Out for an opportunity at a first-round buy in the AEW World Tag Title Tournament. So the tag title tournament is not taking place at All Out. Is that what? what? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So Tony Khan's indicated the tournament will start on TV. Right. I mean, it sounds like there will be a match at All Out where the winners of that match, whoever's in it, get that first round bye. 
Yeah, I I think we made sense of it by now. But does it make sense that basically this team has to win two matches in order to get a buy? It sounds like a lot of hoops. Yes, to get a buy anyway. But and but some- that's besides the point. The match should be good. I think so. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Private Party. I think, I think Private Party should win. I think so too. I, I mean, you can really kind of go anyway. But- I'd go with the new team. That yeah, I, I think they need it. Uh, Michael Nakazawa and Alex Jabaley in a hardcore match. Um, I'm going to be coming back and watching this Sunday night. If I'm in a real crunch, I'm skipping right through this. this I is, have no interest in this. I mean, it's really one for the CEO crowd uh, that'll really mean something to the live audience, less so for the AEW audience at yeah. large. It's something that they were... And it's on the pre-show. It's, it's something like, they were supposed to do last year that they didn't get to do. So, uh, you know, I think it'll be fun for the live audience. So I guess that um, somehow a graphic came out for Leva Bates versus Kylie Ray, but that is mm-hmm. not officially I believe ITV announced. put it out. Right. Yeah. So... I guess maybe that'll happen. Maybe it won't. Um, they are doing the librarian storyline, so maybe Leva Bates will have the match with Kylie. Sounds Ray. like it'll be a pretty long, like pre-show. If they're going to do all three, three matches, matches in an hour, can be a little tough, but like, it's doable. Doable, yeah. sure. We'll see. Then we go on to the main card: uh, Yuka Sakazaki versus Nyla Rose versus Rio in a three-way. Um, looking forward to that. Looking forward to seeing more of Yuka Sakazaki parachute pants from the last show. Um, Nyla Rose probably serving as your base. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing all three. I mean, um, I feel like Nyla Rose has been the one who to get the most attention in terms of promotion. Uh, so I could see her winning, but I could also see Rio winning for sort I, I of think, the upset. I, th- I could see Rio winning yeah. this. Christopher Daniels versus Shima. I, I think that this should be really something fun to watch. Yeah, the um, two veterans. Um, I'm sure it'll be great to see like two, you know. What yeah. did you did you notice anything distinct last year about the audience? Like, was it different than your typical wrestling crowd, or were, did you feel they were no. all kind of up to date on who the people were? They and... felt rather up, to, like pretty up to date. Again, it was also like a video game crowd too that reacted really well for Jabali and his spots. But I, especially for this show, I imagine it to be very similar to your typical AEW crowd. Hangman Page, Jimmy Havoc, Jungle Boy, and MJF in a four way. I think Hangman Page should be winning everything before yeah. the the finals. I, that's fine and. Um, getting the pin probably over MJF, probably giving some shine to Jungle Boy, and uh, probably everyone will get like their spots. But I think yeah. that it should be Hangman winning 100. percent Yeah. Uh, then we have John Moxley versus Joey Janela. This has now been uh, labeled a non-sanctioned match, which plays to the strengths of both. Really slick uh, little video that they released uh, just just today, I believe, uh, with with John Moxley essentially kind of like you know his his retort to Joey Janela's promo. I mean, this has been a build that's been built. I mean, all these matches have been built incredibly simply, but I would say Three this, promos. this one may be the best with Moxley and Janela just cutting two excellent promos on each other. And uh, this is the match, you know? I think this is a big match for Joey Janela to kind oh, of yeah. carve out his kind of place in AEW and have that big performance, which he hasn't had yet. It's big for Moxley as well, because I think this is the style of match that, you know, will be the closest thing. I mean, they're essentially promising CZW John Moxley in this. Like, if you watch the Right promo, before he's supposed to do the hardest tournament in the crazy. world. It's <laughs> crazy. But, I mean, it, it, this is a non-sanctioned match. So you can expect a lot of weapons, which kind of plays to the strength of both men. And probably blood. Yeah. I think they'll do blood. Uh, do we see the United States title around Moxley's waist as he walks out? My guess is no. I say no, too. I don't think we're going to get any reference to it. Uh, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks against Pentagon Jr., Ray Phoenix, and Laredo Kid. I do like that, again, like uh, Double or Nothing, I think we're going to get a lot of variety of matches, like Mm -hmm. stuff that looks different. And this... I think people know what to expect here, and it'll be pretty high quality. I think this will be a lot like the all-in main event with Bandito. Um, Will will this be the main event? I think it will be. 
I think so too. I think Kenny, yeah, I being think in Kenny the main has event to be in the main event be. at the CEO show. Yeah. yeah, I think so too. But you know, I think it'll be an incredible showcase for Laredo Kid, who seems to be the, the, the brand new person who uh, the rest of the crowd might not be familiar with. It'll be nice to see Kenny and the Bucks team up again. Now, I mentioned that variety, and I think Cody and Darby Allen, they will have the challenge of being different from Moxley and Janela. Yes. Because I think that this is a match to for Cody to win, but to also get across like both men's toughness and to Cody to have to wrestle a Darby Allen style match. Does Cody necessarily have to win? You know, is it more important for Darby Allen to get that win? Because, you know, like you could have somebody get involved in the, in the result to build up to the fight for the fallen match. I think Darby can get over big by just being this guy with, with no fear. And even in losing, he kind of gains the respect of Cody and has a great showing, but Cody is the guy you're, you're pushing. You're doing that tag match in a few weeks. So I believe Cody wins this match, but Darby is kind of positioned as kind of higher than maybe people perceive. I think they'll have, I think this should be a match that that works well, but it's, it is a very awkward style styles clash. A bit awkward, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. Interesting. Though. So that's the show coming up, and that'll be up on Saturday night. Way and Davey Portman will be live. If you are a double double ice cap or espresso member, you can watch and listen to that show live. Uh, link will be sent out during the show, and then the podcast version up early Sunday morning. Also on this weekend, WH Park and Chris Thunder from Down Under will be talking about night one of the New Japan Pro Wrestling Southern Showdown card, which looks to be excellent as well. Uh, on our website, though, on Friday night, Mike Murray will have a written report for the ROH show. So we'll have everything covered. Yes. And uh, Eric Marcote from the forum, he's going to have a UFC report Saturday night Ooh. up on the site. So we'll have that covered as well. I've delegated this weekend. I'm, I'm very happy to look I forward to all this enjoy, great stuff that we Enjoy have. a rare weekend off. And for myself and Way, before I take off this weekend, uh, one more show coming out on Friday with Rewind Away, number 39. Way and I are going to review In Your House, Canadian Stampede from July of 1997. That was chosen by Espresso Executive Producer Brent Nickel, who will join us as well for a great chat. He was awesome. He was amazing. Yeah, really great. And a great story about selling a steer. That's all we have to let everyone know about. So... Uh, that's it. Um, I want to thank Damian Abraham, Brian Mann, and all of your calls today. I wish we had more time uh, to take yeah. some because everyone wanted to talk about this. But I am sure Monday and Tuesday night after Raw and SmackDown, we are going to have lots and lots to talk about uh, news-wise. It's going to be a very interesting couple of weeks for WWE, mm-hmm. as it always is. So thank you and way, as they always say. Goodbye. What? Goodbye. <laughs> Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis, The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details.